Well, precisely the point, so the reality at the moment is that much of the reality is being shaped by conjecture, by false facts, and sometimes even contradictory facts. So let me give you one simple example. For instance, at yesterday's funeral of Ahmad Katrada, I saw a report in the independent newspapers, which in one paragraph says that the president was not barred from the funeral. He was simply, unlike anyone else, not invited, but not invited to speak. So it was something quite specific. But in the very next sentence, they say he was barred from the funeral. So which is it? He was barred or he wasn't barred? You can't say the same thing in one article. The same is true about the way in which we've approached the debate about whether the president wants to have a cabinet reshuffle and wants to resh- uh, and send the finance the sitting finance minister elsewhere. The reality is both the president and the finance minister have never been transparent, and both of them, as public figures, owe the public an explanation. So two days ago, the president still gives no clarity about whether he intends to have a reshuffle or not have a reshuffle, and yet there is massive speculation in the media that this is in fact going to happen. And so everyone begins from the premise that this is in fact what the president is going to do, and none of that has happened. A journalist from the SABC asks the finance minister, what did you talk about with the president? Now here's, here's where one would think that prudent leadership would have simply said, look, what we discussed with the president is confidential, but these are the items we spoke about. That would have calmed both markets, done away with a lot of the speculation, and perhaps given some level of confidence to the public. And yet again, both the president nor the finance minister are prepared to be forthcoming either in stemming the tide of the speculation or in calming the fears of a broad South African public. Now, what, what should that tell you about responsible leadership? Clearly, both of them have decided that it's okay not to say these things to a public because it serves our political ends inside the party. So what we have going on is an internal party battle uh, and a game of brinkmanship in which the public is actually held to ransom by both sides to this speculative debate. And, and, and I use the word speculative debate advisedly because it is merely speculative. Perhaps it's best that most of our media, particularly social media, stop fueling this debate on the basis of fabrication, of figment, and of anonymous sources, because clearly even seasoned journalists are being used by so-called anonymous sources inside the party to fuel a particular line, and none of them have been credible enough to ask a sufficient question, a sufficiently prudent question about how they triangulate this information firstly, and secondly, how they verify it. And that has given us, all of us, a cue and a signal to talk about things literally out of thin air. Hmm. I want to ask this question, and I know this is also going to take us in a real, perhaps unexplored. Are we entering a phase where people are using transformative platforms in our politics in a manner which is veiled? And by this I mean have the rumors filled a vacuum, sort of usurped the powers of um, you know, the government of the day by creating so much speculation? In part, yes, they have, but it's not unprecedented. 
this has happened in our politics in the period in the lead up to the Polokwane conference of the ANC in 2007. So if you think about the court appearances of Jacob Zuma at the time, or if you think about funerals at the time, or if you think about other public events, whether they were international fora or whether they were occasions of party rallies, uh, remember President uh, Mbeki was also at the receiving end of this kind of speculation around the court cases involving Jacob Zuma, around to embarrass President Mbeki, both inside the ANC but also at state occasions. And the same thing is replicating and repeating itself this time. So clearly we're not in unprecedented terrain. What is unprecedented is the degree to which social media is being used in this context, firstly, and secondly, how news, whether it be fake news or whether it be fabrications, uh, are almost beginning to gain uh, a degree of veracity as fact. And we take those as the facts, and that becomes the premise by which we uh, actually proceed to have this debate and fuse speculation. But are we in completely unprecedented terrain? No, we're not. Uh, we've had examples of this happening before. And one of those prime examples is the debate around the removal of President Mbeki. Now, again, today there is rife speculation in the media about the fact that some attempt at a deal for President Zuba to um, resign at the end of this year as head of the party uh, presidency, uh, which in fact doesn't make much sense to me because he would have to go anyway unless there is a change in the ANC's resolutions from Polokwane which says that those who are elected will be elected head of state. The second speculation is that the deal involves president having to step down as the head of state. And there, too, it's not unprecedented because soon after President Mbeki was no longer president of the ANC, mm. he voluntarily, in effect, in formal terms, resigned. So he wasn't pushed. It wasn't unconstitutional. It wasn't a coup. This was someone who was prevailed upon by his party in formal terms, as we understand it, to resign from the presidency of the republic. And this is what the speculation says uh, President Zuba might be asked to do. But I can't see that happening simply because the party is so fractured. And there are two conditions which are absent this time around, which were present back then. The first is that there was a generalized consensus across the alliance partners that uh, it was no longer useful to have President Mbeki, firstly. Secondly, there was almost unanimity, misguided, of course, but there was unanimity that there should be a replacement through President Zuma. In this instance, uh, there is no such consensus emerging on either side of those questions. So those are the two conditions which are not present this time around. Mm. Now, if you say this is a natural um, occurrence of transformative societies, then there's disorganization and disinformation. We've often heard of talk of a third force. So would that also be party to it? And I'm not necessarily saying somebody is driving an agenda, but I'm not. I'm, the question I'm really asking, is this not a natural recourse of the so-called creative societies as well? Well, I don't think so. This is an entirely self-manufactured and self-imposed and self-inflicted crisis. Now, is this is this a product of societies in transition? In part, it might be. But I think what it's pointing to more generally is a transition in our politics. I think the ANC is no longer 
the organization which can cobble together a manufactured consensus and go ahead. So it's clear that there are deep and inherent fractures. People simply try to reduce this on the basis of the speculative facts, which they or speculative fictions, which they take as fact, as being merely about corruption, merely about people feeding at the trough. There is part of that which is true. There is a degree of truism to that. But I think they often ignore that there are real political, ideological and policy schisms now deeply emergent in the ANC. We simply need to take three indicators as as indicators of fact. First is that the union movement has suffered complete attrition over the last little while. Um, Roughly about seven unions will will soon, formerly part of the alliance, now be launching their own union federation. Second is you look at the voter base and stay away uh, of ANC voters in the 2016 elections. And thirdly, you find much of that people are talking about is actually based on very different understandings of what kind of solutions are required for fixing uh, some of the most seemingly intractable problems that South Africa faces. So on one side of the divide, if you, if you have people saying, look, we don't need to change the constitutional legal, political, and policy edifice, simply because we haven't used those instruments which have been available to us to maximum effect, which speaks to things of capacity, things around efficiency, things around the ability uh, to use the instruments available at your, at, at your disposal. The alternative view says, no, 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 this is not about ineffectiveness and inefficiency. This is about a misdiagnosed set of solutions uh, because the constitution is inappropriate, the policy instruments are inappropriate, and we are unable to use them. So that's not that's not about corruption. This is about a fundamental political policy difference, saying we can't use these things because they are not appropriate to us. And I think that aspect of this has been ignored. But what that, what that debate hasn't focused on is the way in which the Constitution and the instruments which are available to us, in my view, quite progressive and should lead to social change, are being abused by one set of actors in this political debate, A, to emasculate the power, and B, to move us away from this kind of delicate separation of powers and functions in a constitutional state towards a greater amount of of, of, of executive authority. The danger with that argument is that it can often lead to arbitrary uses of authority and power.